Welcome to the Cover 2 Resources podcast series, a podcast series about addiction and addiction education. Our mission is to arm others with the knowledge needed to best support a loved one struggling with opioid addiction. This podcast is available on iTunes, Google Music, Stitcher, and via RSS feed. Simply search for the full name, Cover 2 Resources, on your platform of choice. Thank you for listening. Hi, this is Greg McNeil from Cover 2 Resources. The overprescription of opioids for pain has been recognized as a key factor in the growing opioid epidemic in the United States, with Ohio among the worst states in overdose deaths. In response, medical guidelines recommended non-pharmacologic treatments, like chiropractic care, to be used first as pain as an alternative to opioids. Chiropractic physicians actively practicing in Ohio were surveyed about the coverage provided by Ohio's largest providers. The results of the survey indicate the coverage of Ohio's largest payers continues to favor opioids over non-pharmacologic treatments. Joining me today to share the results of the healthcare coverage survey is Dr. Aaron McMichael, the lead author of the Opioid in Ohio's Healthcare Payers Survey Results Report. Also joining me is Dr. Vern Sabo, the Director of Government Affairs at Oregon's Chiropractic Association, to share why Oregon healthcare payers extended coverage to include non-pharmacological treatments as outlined in their state guidelines. We begin today with Dr. McMichael. Dr. McMichael, welcome. Thanks for having me, Greg, and thanks for the work you've been doing to share this important information. Okay. Now, in response to the opioid epidemic in January of 2016, Ohio revised their guidelines recommending non-pharmacologic treatments like chiropractic, massage therapy, acupuncture, and biofeedback, among others, to be used first for pain as alternatives to opioids. Now, your group conducted a survey of healthcare payers to see if their policies actually reflected those current guidelines. So tell us what you found. Sure. So we've had a little time now. You know, we've seen Ohio's guidelines come out. We've seen some national guidelines as well, but essentially they all say similar things. Start with non-drug treatment, like chiropractic, among the others you mentioned, and opioids should be last. The risk is too high. We have to start with safer treatments first. So we wanted to see, all right, what what's happening now? Are these treatments, these non-drug options, non-pharmacological options being covered at this point? Because historically there have been higher restrictions on those treatments in favor of going that medication or opioid route. So we went ahead and surveyed practicing chiropractic physicians in the state of Ohio, um, doctors that are every day working with patients, working with insurers to, to get a real feel, a real understanding where things are at currently. And as you mentioned, the results were, were pretty bad, kind of sad what we found, but not necessarily unexpected. Now, when we look overall, essentially we see very little change to cover these options that are being recommended by the most up-to-date medical treatment guidelines. And that, that varies a little bit depending on types of payers, but what we looked at are the major ones in Ohio. So we looked at Medicaid, we looked at Medicare, VA that covers veterans, uh, workers' compensation that covers injured workers, as well as some private insurers including Medical Mutual, Anthem Blue Cross Blue Shield, Aetna, and United Healthcare. 
and we can talk a little bit more detail about each of those and how they kind of vary a little bit and what the issues are. But as a whole, it seems that they've really, if, at least if you look at the coverage they provide, they tend to prefer, even at this point, opioid, prescription opioids for treatment over non-drug options for pain. So that's shocking because uh, enough time has passed and enough has been published on the opioid epidemic that you would think that they would run to getting in sync with these guidelines. Why has that not happened? That's a really great question and, and a real hard question to answer because I'm sure there are multiple factors going on here, and that, that differs between the public, governmental uh, payers like Medicaid and Medicare versus those private ones. You know, there are a lot of different issues going on. Part of that is we still think they really don't understand non-drug treatment options like chiropractic. They're just not as familiar with them. Uh, they're so used to medicate it, get your prescription, take that, and move along. You know, this is, it's a different way of thinking. So it requires some, some new ideas and different ways to look at things to really start making those changes. But with thousands of, of Ohioans alone dying each year from overdoses, we've got to make some quicker progress on this. We can't allow this to continue to happen. It's amazing how quickly they can become dependent and then addicted to the opioids. And that's really what started all this. There was that lack of understanding and some misinformation out there. Doctors did not realize how quickly you be could become addicted. After one day, after one week, especially after just a month, that risk of addiction is much higher than, than was long believed. And and risks of other issues much higher than suspected as well. So I alluded to this, I guess, in, in my last question, but, you know, opponents really of expanding coverage, apparently, to include non-pharmacological treatments, they, they oppose it on the basis of higher costs. What is your group doing to respond to that argument? So our report does go into that to some degree, and we mentioned a number of studies that have been done over the years, studies in in Medicare, studies in the VA, studies in the work comp system for injured workers, studies in private insurers. And time and again, what they've seen is when you take a, a safer, more conservative non-drug approach first for pain, and then take a stepwise approach beyond that if needed, but a lot of these patients don't need to go too far beyond that, the costs you can save are really quite significant. And when you look even further into this opioid issue, there are all these corollary costs as well where it's affecting families. It affects those kids. So the numbers we're seeing, not just on a state level, but on a national level, that this opio opioid epidemic is costing us is, is astounding. And the potential for cost savings that we have really good data on at this point is really quite significant. You know, when you start more conservative, you have fewer risks of hospitalization or other problems related to the treatment that you're doing. There tends to be less use of advanced testing, diagnostics, things like that, that those bills can add up really quick. So it seems to be not only a, a more effective, safer approach, but certainly a more cost-effective approach as well. Dr. McMichael goes on to share more survey results. Nearly 70% of the responses we received indicate Medicare and Medicaid in Ohio 
continue to favor opioid treatment over chiropractic and non-drug treatment for pain. Actually, just last month, the U.S. Department of Health and Human Services, their Office of Inspector General, released a study on Ohio Medicaid. And they noted that one in six Ohio Medicaid beneficiaries were receiving opioids still at this point in a one-year period. So one in six are still on prescription opioids. And Medicaid is one of the highest risk groups that we're seeing when it comes to the overdose and, and these problems with addiction. So we need to get that under control. What you actually see with their, their treatment restrictions is they won't even cover an examination with a doctor or chiropractic. They'll cover some treatment, they'll cover a limited number of visits, but they won't even cover that in, initial examination. So if a patient has pain, they can call up the medical doctor or they can call up the doctor of chiropractic. If my visit to the medical doctor is free for that exam versus I have to pay for an exam at the doctor of chiropractic, where am I going to go? I'm going to go where it's free. So they're effectively steering patients back to the same medications, the same route that's been causing this issue, unfortunately. Next, our conversation moves on to private insurers' coverage. Now, if we kind of switch and look more at the private insurers, with them it wasn't so much treatment restrictions, although you'll see those with uh, United Healthcare in particular. They're very limited in, say, chiropractic treatments that they allow, but it's usually the financials that are an issue. So they have high deductibles, high co-pays, high co-insurance. So it costs patients much more to see a chiropractic physician or non-drug treatment provider than it would potentially a medical provider or just go and get that script. They just have one one copay for their script, they pay their money, and then they take their medication day after day. Versus these non-drug treatments, often you need some regular visits, you know, whether that's chiropractic visits, physical therapy visits, and every visit you've got a copay. So you're paying that much more as you go along. So a little difference in the restrictions, but effectively the same result where it's easier, cheaper to get the opioids rather than the non-drug treatment. And then the last group would be the, I'll call it access restrictions. And, and the work comp system for injured workers in Ohio and VA system for veterans fall into this category where their coverage is really pretty good when you look at it. They cover a lot of these important services, but trying to access those services is difficult. And the work comp system, which has been recognized as one of the worst when it comes to opioid prescriptions and overdose deaths, they, their overdose deaths are three times the rate of the average Ohioan. Wow. Um, they, they have shown, they've been happy because they've gotten their opioid prescriptions down from the 70th percentile to the 60s. Well, that's a good start, but they have a long way to go. Well, what you're finding is there are more denials and more rejections of chiropractic treatment, acupuncture treatment, again, these non-drug treatment options that tends to push them into long-term use of opioids and medications that for some reason continue to be allowed and allowed without these same denials that you'll see for other care. Dr. McMichael talks about motivating Ohio health care payers to cover non-drug treatment options. Well, ideally, when it comes to something like this, you'd love to see these health care payers jump in and start making the necessary changes. 
unfortunately, we're not seeing that. So at some point, we're likely going to need some legislative changes to make it happen. And that's what we're seeing in some other states like Oregon, like West Virginia, like Rhode Island. The, they're stepping up with legislation to say, all right, we need to provide better coverage for these non-drug treatment options at this point. If, if the payers aren't going to do it themselves, then we've got to twist some arms and encourage them much more strongly to get it done because the data is there now. We know we need to do it. We know we're still seeing way too many overdose deaths way too many opioid prescriptions, and what happens if you just start cutting off those prescriptions without providing an appropriate alternative? They just go to the street. We don't want them going to the street. That's not going to fix anything, obviously. We need to provide good coverage for those alternative options. Joining me now is Dr. Vern Sabo, the Director of Government Affairs for the Oregon Chiropractic Association. And he's going to share why Oregon healthcare payers extended coverage to include non-pharmacologic treatments as outlined in their revised state guidelines. Dr. Sabo, welcome. Good morning. As we begin, Dr. Sabo shares how a discussion he had with Oregon State Senator Vicki Walker underscored the importance of having an industry specialist lead their lobbying efforts. When I was done, she pushed back from her desk and she says, you know, Vern, you have a different level of credibility with us than these other guys. And I had looked at it and I said, I do? And she says, yeah. She says, you're a chiropractor talking about chiropractic issues. She says, you don't have a bunch of other clients. She says, you have one client, your chiropractic colleagues and the patients that they treat. She says, the others, these other guys have, are talking heads, hired guns, they have multiple clients, and they'll talk to me about one issue one day and something completely different the next day. But you have one client, chiropractors. And she says, you speak very well, you explain things to where I, I, I understand it, and you do it with passion. She says, that puts you at a different level of credibility. And the more I thought about it, the more it made sense. And that fundamentally has made all the difference in Oregon. We didn't get anything done for two, for two, three decades, other than getting hammered in workers' comp in 1990. Thank you, Mr. Chuck Bennett, our lobbyist at the time. Uh, who we had for 13 years, and I can't think of a single substantial bill we got passed. Since 2005, I've gotten 10 bills through a myriad of administrative rules and key policy changes, such as what we're going to be talking about. Dr. Sabo shares why a layperson would not be effective in the role of lobbyist for their group. So it will make a difference to have a chiropractic colleague. Um, and, and this is and, and because no lay lobbyist will sit on these policy uh, task force, work groups, advisory committees, commissions, and the hours of conversations and high-level conversation. One, they won't spend the time. Two, they don't have the clinical expertise to give real-time, on-the-spot answers to key questions that will affect the chiropractic profession. Very simple example, last week in my value-based benefits subcommittee of the Health Evidence Review Commission, the chronic pain management task force came back with a recommendation of what treatments they thought were appropriate for chronic pain and fibromyalgia. And the director said, well, they found that chiropractic, they didn't feel chiropractic was efficacious for chronic unrelenting pain and fibromyalgia, but they uh, recommended physical therapy. Now, a lay lobbyist would not be able to capture that and say what I just said. And I spoke up as a member of the 
Committee, uh, Value-Based Benefits Committee, I said, well, excuse me, first of all, you're making two mistakes. And uh, she's a medical doc, and she, I, I like her to death, but first of all, the assumption is when you say chiropractic was not effective, you're assuming it is a single modality. Chiropractic is a profession, especially here in Oregon, we have a broad scope of practice. And almost all of the essential health benefits are within our scope of license to provide. So when you say chiropractic is ineffective for these conditions, what you really mean is spinal manipulation. Well, that is only one thing that we do. The second issue is when they say they recommend physical therapy, that's a broad brush. Physical therapy or physiotherapy, there's a whole, you might as well just say physical medicine modalities because there's a whole cascade of interventions that fall under physical therapy, all of which are within the scope of license of chiropractic physicians here in Oregon to perform. And it just stopped the whole committee in their tracks. They're completely rewriting it. No lay lobbyist would have been able to capture that. And so um, it's fundamental to have a chiropractic uh, physician that is a good communicator that knows his stuff to be a part of the lobbying team or if not just the lobbyist if your state's smaller. Now, to the issue of the opioid epidemic that's across the country in Ohio and Oregon, and Oregon and Ohio are very close to each other as far as how bad it is, Here's an example of how my being in this position played out to where now 1.1 million Oregonians can get chiropractic treatment and we didn't have to pass legislation for that policy change. But it backs up to in 2012, I positioned myself on a work group for what was known as House Bill 2100 and it was combining a drug commission and the health services commission into one commission. Well, the health services commission was the commission that was divide, to devise guidelines, evidence-based guidelines of what interventions should be paid for by the Oregon health plan and which ones should not. So that we don't spend our limited funds and matching federal funds on ineffective high cost medical interventions that don't work. I got myself on that work group, chair, uh, uh, Jim, Thompson, a Republican who I got to know very well, chiropractic patient, huge supporter. I was able to get one seat on the new commission to go to either a chiropractic physician, naturopathic physician, or a licensed acupuncturist. I then had become quite acquainted with then Governor John Kitzhopper. We're now good friends. And I asked him for appointment. He appointed me to the Health Evidence Review Commission, and it was a four-year stint. The, the, the director, Darren Coffin, then appointed me to the subcommittee of the Health Evidence Review Commission on evidence-based guidelines and coverage guidance. The first guidelines we adopted were on low back pain. And working with the Center for Evidence-Based Policy at Oregon Health Science University, the medical school, the only non-pharmaceutical intervention that the state of Oregon's guidelines recommend for all three phases of low back pain, acute, zero to four weeks, subacute, four to eight weeks, and chronic, eight weeks and beyond, is spinal manipulation. Well, guess what? That that would be chiropractors. We perform the great majority of it in this country, as everyone knows. The opioid, narco uh, the opioid narcotic um, epidemic raged on in Ohio, and we're talking about the Medicaid population or health plan, 1.1 million Oregonians. So we have this epidemic. I'm sitting on the Health Evidence Review Commission. We have these evidence-based guidelines saying this is what we should be doing, these non-pharmaceutical interventions, chiropractic spinal manipulation. But everybody's getting Vicodin. And the reason why is we have a prioritized list of services. And 
common back and spinal pain problems were below the prioritized line, funding line. I kept squawking because I was on this commission. I said, excuse me, I said, but there was just now a new study that came out supporting yada, yada, yada. I said, here our own state of Oregon, evidence-based low back pain management guidelines say we should be doing this, these non-pharmaceutical interventions, but everybody is getting Vicodin because back and spinal pain, one of the most common causes, common reasons people go to their primary care physician is below the funding line. That prompted, I think this to shut me up, a formation of a task force, the Prioritized List Reorganization Task Force. Um, and uh, we met for several weeks and we came up with a new policy uh, and recommendations to the Health Evidence Review Commission that they implement this. And then that was implemented July 1st, 2016. And since then now 1.1 million Oregonians have access on the Oregon Health Plan to to um, chiropractic acupuncture and non, other non-pharmaceutical intervention. Next, we talk about his relationship with the governor and why it was vital to their group's success. The uh, other uh, issue relative to the opioid uh, epidemic and my position as lobbyist and what I recommend to other states is getting to know the governor. I didn't know who John Kitzhopper was in 2010, but I made it my business to get to know him because everybody in the, on the face of the planet, at least in Oregon, knew he was the lead horse. He had been gover governor prior. He could only serve two terms. So he was coming back for his third term. Medical physician, uh, emergency room doc training, strongly supportive of alternative care. And I got to know him, and as I say, we're good friends. I went behind the scenes in 2000, um, the interim of 2014, um, and uh, he, he, at our asking, inserted the provider non-discrimination provisions from the Accountable Care Act, Obamacare, into our Oregon state law, into the draft bill before the insurance commissioner dropped it on our work group. The insur Oregon insurance commissioner formed a work group to draft what was known as the Network Adequacy Bill, House Bill 2468 in 2015. It was David and Goliath. There was 14 insurers around the room and then there was David, the Goliath, and then David, it was me representing the chiropractic physicians, Dr. Jeff Harper representing the physical, uh, the, I mean, excuse me, the um, naturopathic physicians, and Steve Kafori representing the licensed acupuncturists and doctors of oriental medicine. And behind the scenes, the governor had given her, mar the, the commissioner, marching orders to insert this language into her bill before she presented it to our work group. The commissioner in Oregon is appointed by the governor, not elected by the people. And then for the first four or five months, those carriers came after that language every single meeting, and she wouldn't budge. And they all had to look on their face like, well, they, they, she always listens to us on other stuff. Why isn't she listening here? Not having any clue that we had a prior private conversation with the governor who gave her marching orders, that that language stays in there. Uh, so that passed, and so we were the first of only two states uh, in the nation, uh, Rhode Island was the second, followed our lead that inserted the non, the provider non-discrimination language. Self-insured plans have developed benefit structures that include chiropractic care. However, there's a hitch. The benefit is only payable when services provided by MDs or doctors of osteopathy, but not by doctors of chiropractic care. 
So that effectively creates an illusionary benefit and drives patients away from choosing chiropractic treatment due to the scarcity of MDs and DOs in that practice. Adding the provider non-discrimination law addresses this and other inequities in reimbursement coverage. I asked Dr. Sabo to comment on the importance of getting the provider non-disclosure clause added to the bill. Well, because the provider non-discrimination uh, provisions speak to participation coverage and varying reimbursement rates, reimbursement parity. So in that context, participation means you not to discriminate against a healthcare provider as per participation means they have to let some chiropractic physicians on all their panels. They don't have to let all chiropractic physicians on the panel. It's not an any willing provider provision, but they have to let some, and in Oregon, it has to be an adequate network. There cannot be artificial barriers due to low numbers of chiropractic physicians to where there's a barrier to consumers getting to chiropractors. Uh, coverage, not to discriminate as per coverage means if it's a covered benefit that's within our scope of license to provide and we provide it, the insurers must reimburse us. They can't say, well, that may be in the chiropractor's scope of license to provide it, but we don't pay chiropractors for that. Next, we talk about how adding the provider non-discrimination clause to a bill they passed was vital to their success. Getting that into law was was critical, and we did use a house bill to do that. Mm -hmm. Uh, And so um, not to discriminate as far as Varying reimbursement, it specifically states an insurer can vary reimbursement rates based on quality and performance measures. It cannot be based on discipline or type of provider. If we do a better job, they can pay us more. And so they can't say, well, you know, we pay uh, chiropractic physicians $50 for manipulation of one to two spinal areas, but we pay osteopathic physicians $80 for one to two areas. That would be in violation of not only federal, but now Oregon state law. I asked Dr. Sabo to share any advice that they would have for other states that today find themselves in the same situation Oregon was in, with coverage from health care payers out of sync with the revised state guidelines for treating pain. Well, use uh, Oregon as an example and um, refer to the evidence that supports the non-pharmaceutical interventions such as spinal manipulation and acupuncture and so forth. Um, and uh, the superior outcomes, you know, refer to the, the, the research that supports uh, reduced adverse events and lower costs. But again, I go back to the, the reality that having a chiropractic physician as one of their chief lobbyists who can sit on these policymaking committees and give real-time clinical inform, uh, uh, input that no lay lobbyists could do, nor would they sit through that, is key. You can talk about all the research uh, and all the studies that support what we do, and we've done that for years and years, but it comes down to relationships. It comes down to being on, having key relationships with the uh, legislators and the policymakers and then being on these policymaking groups. And it's not just having a chiropractic uh, lobbyist, but also combining that with a good grassroots network, uh, key doctors around the state, especially doctors who treat members of their state legislature, getting them involved, and then having a strong state pack. We've been joined today by Dr. Aaron McMichael, the lead author of the Opioid and Ohio's Healthcare Payers Survey Report. We've also been joined by Dr. Vern Sabo, the Director of Government Affairs of Oregon's Chiropractic Association, 
who shared with us how, in Oregon, they successfully lobbied to get health care payers to extend coverage to include non-pharmacological treatments, as outlined in their state guidelines. Hopefully, in Ohio, we'll learn a lesson or two from Oregon. My name is Greg McNeil. I'm the founder of Cover 2 Resources. Thank you for joining us for this Cover 2 PPT podcast. That's people, places, and things making a difference in the opioid epidemic. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of the Cover 2 Resources podcast. This episode is a production of Cover 2 Resources and is made possible by listeners like you. If you'd like to donate or to sponsor a future podcast, please visit cover2.org. As always, thank you for listening. Together, we can make a difference in the opioid epidemic, one life at a time.